Welcome back to Local News Live. I'm Clay Osterley. Happy Monday to you. Joined by Victoria Shirley. We're going to take a look at your top great local television stories across the country in just a little bit, but I'm going to send it to Studio A with Victoria Shirley for a look at your national top headlines. Victoria. Thank you so much for that, Clay. Let's jump right to it and give you a preview here of what we'll be talking about. So Kamala Harris will be in, or she is in Miami right now, to announce $1 billion for states to deal with floods and extreme heat. And the California wildfire that continues to rage, two bodies have been found in a burned vehicle. And Kentucky, of course, still reeling from the dangerous flash flooding they experienced last week. And of course, unfortunately, they are bracing for more rain and possible floods. And will schools require masks this fall? It's a big question on parents' minds as well as the CDC. We'll break into that coverage for you in just a few minutes. But first, let's talk about Kamala Harris. She is in Miami to announce $1 billion to states for floods and extreme heat. We have some video of her uh, in Miami. This is her landing in Miami. And the White House is making more than $1 billion available to states to address flooding and extreme heat exacerbated by climate change. Vice President Kamala Harris is announcing the grant programs today at an event in Miami with the head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency and other officials. The competitive grants will help communities across the nation prepare for and respond to climate-related disasters. The announcement comes as the death toll rises from the massive flooding in Kentucky and as wildfires in California and Montana explode in size amid windy, hot conditions and forced evacuations. The White House says the impacts of climate crisis are here. Speaking of which, we are going to take you now to a story coming out of California where unfortunately two bodies were found in a burned vehicle. Let's uh, bring up some video of this fire. California officials say two bodies have been found inside a burned vehicle in the zone of a raging, raging California wildfire that is one of several major blazes burning across the western United States Amid hot, dry, and gusty conditions, the McKinney Fire in Northern California is burning out of control in uh, one of their national forests. Officials say the fire has grown to more than 82 square miles of the lightly populated area near the Oregon line. The bodies were found yesterday inside the charred vehicle in a driveway in Montana. A blaze sparked in grasslands near the community of Elmo grew to more than 17 square miles after advancing into a forest. And staying on the topic of uh, natural disasters in Kentucky, Governor Andy Bashir gave another update on the flooding situation today. Governor Bashir confirmed that the death toll has risen to at least 30 after devastating flooding in eastern Kentucky. He says they do know of additional bodies that have been recovered, but they cannot confirm those deaths at this time. We're told 15 of the deaths are reported in Knott County, Kentucky. Four of those deaths are children. The governor said the oldest was in the second grade. Six deaths are confirmed in Breathitt County, three in Perry County, two in Letcher County, and two in Clay County. The governor says refrigerator trucks are serving as mobile morgues to hold bodies as they're flown into Frankfurt to the medical examiner's office. 
Bashir says the number of missing is in the hundreds. He says search and rescue crews are still running into areas where it's difficult to get to. And I do want to show you a tweet by one of our WKYT reporters, Chad Hedrick, who tweeted out that Governor Andy Bashir is ordering flags lowered to half staff in honor of the families suffering from the floods. This order is from sunrise tomorrow to sundown August 8th. He's also asking people to light their homes in green like they did with COVID. Of course, we've got several uh, Kentucky stations covering this devastating flooding all across eastern Kentucky. WKYT, WYMT, and several more covering this flooding, and we'll have their coverage throughout the day. And Clay will touch on some of that coverage as well in a few minutes. All right, back to school is upon us. Can you believe it? It's August 1st. Several schools will be starting in the next couple of weeks if they haven't started already. And of course, parents are wondering, will my kid have to bring a mask and wear it in school? Let's talk about this. Well, uh, most U.S. students are heading into the new school year with an optional mask policy. According to the data company Burbio, about 98% of the top 500 kindergarten through 12th grade schools do not require facial coverings. However, the School Superintendents Association says policies could change in some areas where COVID-19 cases escalate. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is recommending universal indoor masking for schools and early education programs in locations with a high COVID-19 community level. Right now, the CDC says nearly 46% of U.S. counties fall in that category. All right, and we did want to share with you some uh, top great TV stories that are trending today. And for that part of the story, we're going to take you to Clay Osterley, who's in Studio B right now. Clay, what stories have you gathered for us today? Hey there, Victoria. Thanks so much for the look at that national uh, headlines there. Uh, yeah, what we're following today uh, on the local gray television stations uh, here, first of all, as you mentioned uh, a little bit there, the death toll rises in the Kentucky flash flooding event there, and we will get a uh, an update here in length from our station WKYT out of Lexington, Kentucky, that is working in conjunction with WYMT out of Hazard, where we've seen so many uh, reports coming in from that uh, flood-stricken area. Of course, I don't want to forget about this story. New information coming out on the Hawaii couple accused of being Russian spies. We'll get you out to KHNL in Honolulu for that. We're also in, uh, following here some news coming out of Georgia today. A university of West Georgia professor is charged with murder of an 18-year-old student. I'll have some more details for that uh, coming to us from our newsroom at WGCL in Atlanta. And then also evacuations ordered in Oregon due to a wildfire rapidly growing over the weekend. So that's just a quick overview of a couple of the stories that we're following from Gray TV and our local stations across the country. Our first story, of course, uh, is the Kentucky flooding as we continue to see issues uh, related to that. And of course, as I uh, mentioned, the death toll continues to rise as a result of this uh, tragedy event here regarding the heavy rainfall and the flash flooding across eastern Texas. Uh, our station WKYT out of Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky has an update. We can now confirm that we have lost 30 Kentuckians to this flooding and that's going to grow. We know about additional bodies beyond these 30 confirmed. 
As we learn more about the death toll from last week's floods, rescue crews continue to search for the hundreds of people who are still missing. One of the hardest hit areas is Breathitt County. Jim Stratman is live right now in Jackson with an update from emergency management. Jim. Yeah, Victor, I've been able to speak with crews out here at the Walmart in Jackson. This is where a lot of them are staging. We're seeing command centers here, probably 30 different uh, departments all represented out here looking to try to help with the rescue mission that is still ongoing. Officials tell me that their primary goal today will be finishing up primary searches. That means that they'll be going to homes and areas for the first time, homes that they've got calls about for the first time, trying to find people in need. After that, they're going to move on to some more secondary searches. They've been aided by some good weather, and they're hoping that that good weather will last again today. I spoke with an emergency management official out of Lee County today trying to help organize the rescue effort. He told me that while the water may have gone down, they are still seeing a number of challenges out there for crews, including lots of debris on roadways, washed out roads that are partially destroyed, and some roads that are just wiped off the map altogether. And in some cases, water could still be affecting those crews, especially as you get further out into the county. He could not give me a good estimation on the number of people that are still unaccounted for, but he has said that they are still getting calls from loved ones looking for their relatives. We know that at least six people have been confirmed dead here in Breathitt County because of this flooding. And as the governor said, that death toll is likely to continue to climb all throughout the eastern part of the state. Now, one of the other important jobs that these crews are going to be undertaking today is going to be trying to get humanitarian aid out to people who need it. There are still plenty of people out there who crews may have been able to make contact with, but because of where they're situated, how the roads in their area are uh, either destroyed or damaged, they may not be able to get out to get things like food or water. And so crews are going to be going out to those areas trying to deliver food and water to those people because as we know while the flooding may obviously having an issue with the cell signal out there now people in five counties can apply for individual help from fema breathitt clay not letcher and perry counties governor Bashir says he expects more counties to become eligible as damage assessments go on if you do have flood damage, FEMA agents say you should take pictures of everything. List all of your losses and have any insurance information ready. Police in multiple counties are taking steps to prevent looting out there. Perry County deputies arrested three people for looting the night that flood hit. Sheriff Joe Engel says his department won't tolerate that kind of crime while the community is hurting. If you're trying to take advantage of people in this situation, we're going to find you, we're going to hunt you down, we're going to lock you up and put you in jail and let the criminal justice system and our prosecutors will not have mercy on anyone taking advantage of people. Letcher County has a curfew from midnight to 6 in the morning. Breathitt County's curfew is from 10 at night until 7 in the morning. The Perry County... And that's a quick update from WKYT out of Lexington, Kentucky, uh, related to the flash flooding event that uh, took place last week. 
there across the eastern portion of the state. Something that we will continue to follow, and you can always tune in to WKYT for the latest up-to-date information. Moving on to our next top story across Gray TV. Of course, this is one that continues to uh, draw a lot of attention across the country. Uh, we're talking about the couple here that is in Hawaii and accused of being Russian spies. Now, we do have some extended coverage here from KHNL as that couple has been indicted by a grand jury and lots more information that they're releasing about the investigation. Let's get you out to KHNL. The volunteers are working with FEMA and the Red Cross. Special Agent Dennis Thomas of the State Department's Diplomatic Security Service testified before the federal grand jury Thursday ahead of the indictment of Walter Primrose and Gwen Morrison, suspected Russian spies charged with conspiracy to commit crimes against the U.S. and ID theft. They lived in Kapolei after Primrose retired from the Coast Guard and worked as a defense contractor. Maps of military facilities, coded messages, and invisible ink among the items the government said were found in the couple's Kapolei home. It's very scary because anybody can get a map to Pearl Harbor that shows major roads, but a person who is then able to walk as a military member down those roads and able to go to certain places that the public is not able to go to can again put together bits of information that are very, very important to our enemies. An expert determined the Polaroid pictures of the two in what appears to be an authentic KGB uniform were taken in the 80s. When the FBI identifies a foreign intelligence agent, they just don't go out and arrest them tomorrow. They monitor them, they follow them, they listen to their phone calls. The FBI counterintelligence agents are very smart and very thorough. They are not going to make a case with this impact based on someone playing dress up at a party. The government said the two met in high school, were together in college, and had stolen the identities of babies, marrying each other multiple times under their various names. After their arrests, the two were in a room together and recorded making references consistent with espionage, according to prosecutors. No one can underestimate the amount of pressure that a defendant will feel when they're in the FBI building. And so we use that opportunity to see maybe people slip and forget their training, particularly as intelligence officers. All right, we're bringing in Lynn Kwano, chief investigative reporter right here to the H&N Digital Center to really talk a lot more about this story. So Lynn, in those court documents, they don't really mention the word spy, but lawyers brought it up yesterday, right? Yeah, federal prosecutors brought it up in court yesterday. They used the term espionage, and, and they used it in, in several times in several different ways. One of them was after the couple um, were arrested and taken to the FBI building, they were put in a room together, and I'm told that you are handcuffed one arm on the wall, and then the other arm is free, but you can talk to each other. And they were being recorded. And according to federal prosecutors, um, they were making references to espionage. And, and, you know, some of these details. Now, does that mean they're a spy either, or they're spies? It, you know, you have to maybe put all of these pieces together and then make a conclusion. And certainly we'll see more come out in the days ahead as they drop more documents, more pictures, and as we get co closer to um, their trial. But you know, the term espionage wasn't used in any of the court documents before this. Nothing said spies. And a lot of people said, well, you know, how are we concluding that 
they are being accused of being Russian spies. And yesterday, um, that came out a lot more. Lynn, really talk about with us how big of a story is this. I've been seeing those emails come in. A lot of people reaching out to you from all sorts of networks and news outlets. This has got a lot of reach, right? It does have a lot of reach, and not just around the country. You know, I got a call the other night, nine at night from London, um, because they are about 11 hours ahead of us or behind us, but a day ahead, you know, something along those lines. But they called in the middle of the night. They really needed a lot more information about it. It is a fascinating story. But what people really need to understand is spies in Hawaii is not that unusual. We've had cases before, Snowden, of course, the biggest one. But in 2020, we had one, a, a, a CIA agent who was selling secrets to the Chinese, and he was convicted in that case as well. So while this is a very juicy story, very interesting story, a lot of people are, are really fascinated by it, um, it's not that unusual for Hawaii. All right, let's talk about this case specifically. I know you're learning even more about this couple. You've talked to neighbors, been going through documents, and have a number of sources out there. What more can you tell us? What was interesting was the uh, the federal prosecutors really released a little bit more details about what they found inside the couple's Kapolei home. I went to the couple's home back on Tuesday, spoke with some neighbors who said they were nice, they were very friendly. It wasn't like they would come over and talk story, but certainly very friendly, they would communicate. Um, one of the, the kids I spoke to next door said his dad and granddad would talk to them all the time outside as they were doing the yard or, or just moving around throughout the community. Community, and they seemed nice. They didn't think anything was amiss uh, because of them. But what I'm hearing from not just in court from federal prosecutors, but also from several sources is that this couple has been under surveillance for a little while. You know, a retired FBI agent Tom Simon said the FBI and, and the SSD, which is the diplom or DSS, the diplomatic security group with the State Department, they don't go out and just arrest someone uh, based on hunches, right? The, this requires a lot of surveillance, a lot of time and effort. And in court, in court, they revealed that inside the home, they recovered some military facility maps, some coded messages, um, and then invisible ink sets, which honestly, Jonathan, my kids have invisible ink, right? So I'm not sure how much weight all of that carries, but collectively, perhaps um, it gives them a better idea of what's going on. And, and let's, let's, you know, be real here, the State Department, FBI, when it comes to coded messages, they have a lot of experts who can really help in that department. So it wasn't just the pictures, the Polaroids um, of them in this KGB jacket, uh, which pro prosecutors say is authentic or appears to be authentic. You know, there's a lot more now that has been coming out over the days. All right, Lynn, about that jacket, I know you've talked to the wife's defense attorney. She's already lawyered up there, and she's talking a lot about that jacket and have some information in her mounting defense for her client. So what is she saying? Megan Cowell is a very well-known attorney. She's she's expensive, so people are wondering how they can afford. Well, really, she was appointed. She's court-appointed. And the reason for that, the husband, Walter Primrose, has the federal public defender. You cannot represent, the same, the same office cannot represent both clients. So the government has to get her, her own attorney. And so that's how Megan Cowell became involved. It's not like this woman is dropping a lot of money to pay Megan Cowell. Taxpayers are really funding this defense. She's a court-appointed attorney. 
Megyn Cal did meet with her client, and her client at the FDC told Megyn she wants people to know she is not a spy. When it comes to that jacket, she never denied that it's authentic. She actually said that a friend had it. A friend had a KGB jacket, so they all decided at a party to, to try it on and, and take pictures with it. Now, now honestly, Jonathan, I'm not putting on a, pa uh, a jacket like that in the 1980s. I don't know of any people who would have a KGB jacket, an authentic one, of course, in the 1980s, because, of course, that was during, you know, everything with the Soviet bloc. The woman also lived in Romania, according to federal prosecutors. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of um, little details here. Megan Kyle didn't want to go into details about the woman's past just yet. She said she had only had that one meeting with the woman, so it's very preliminary, but she did want everybody to know that she says she she's not a spy. And then up next, we have another detention hearing, right? Walter Primrose had his detention hearing yesterday, and a judge denied that based on what the federal prosecutors were saying. They called him a flight risk. He's not dangerous, um, as far as they can tell. In any of these identities that he allegedly assumed um, these babies throughout the years and all of these questionable past behavior. He's never been arrested for a crime. He's never been accused of a crime. So he's not a danger to the community, but what prosecutors argued was that he's a flight risk. Um, likely, that's going to be the same case and possibly the same outcome when it comes to his wife, Gwen Morrison. Her hearing is coming up on Tuesday, her detention hearing as well. All right, Lynn Kuwana, chief investigative reporter here at Hawaii News. Now, look forward to more updates because there's going to be a lot more to unfold, I'm sure. And that was the latest from KHNL regarding <clears throat> that uh, couple that has now been indicted uh, for uh, accused, at least, of being Russian spies there in Hawaii. Moving on now to our next story. This is something that we'll be following uh, throughout the day. A University of West Georgia professor is charged with murdering a student. Take a look at this here. Uh, this is a little bit more information on your screen. Uh, they say here that 47-year-old uh, Richard Sigmund was fired and arrested, uh, being charged with murder, aggravated assault, and possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime for killing a student on Saturday morning. That's according to the Carleton Police Department there in Georgia. Now, police said that uh, just before 12.30 in the morning, officers responded to a local hospital after a teen they identified as an 18-year-old Anna Jones showed up with a gunshot wound. According to police, the incident happened at a restaurant there in uh, Atlanta, and they say that a uh, argument, uh, that Sigmund and another man got into an argument. Sigmund was asked to leave. Now, after being asked to leave, uh, he went out to a parking deck, police say, and then started shooting at a parked car. Now, once he started shooting at that car, that's when he, uh, police say, hit the uh, victim with a, uh, with a bullet there. So let's get that information back on the screen. Uh, and that victim was 18-year-old Anna Jones. Jones was taken to a local hospital where she later died from her injuries. Now, 
The University of Georgia, uh, West Georgia, I should say, has released a statement regarding that. So here's a look at that statement for you here. It says the University of West Georgia has learned uh, of the loss of one of its students, Anna Jones, who passed away following an off-campus incident earlier today. Uh, they go on to say that uh, University of West Georgia has terminated the employment of Richard Sigmund and continues to work with the city of Carleton, uh, Carrollton, I should say, uh, police department, which is leading the ongoing investigation. So no doubt uh, WGCL, our gray affiliate there in Atlanta, will continue to follow this story. Our next one, it's been a lot uh, here with wildfires out to the west, and we've seen several of those. Evacuation orders now in effect for a portion of Oregon, and KPTV is covering that. Here's a look at uh, one of the fires that they're covering. This is called the Fly Creek Fire. You can see it from above there, pretty big smoke plume, as well as uh, you can certainly see the fire on the hillside there. When we take a look at the current stats going on about the Fly Creek uh, fire, evacuations are now in effect due to the fast-moving nature of this fire near Lake Billy Chinook. Now, the Fly, Fly Creek fire was last estimated to be about 30 acres, but 0% contained. Local officials there have issued a level three, which is a go now notice for the Perry South and Monte campgrounds, and has also issued a level two, which is get set notice for the Three Rivers area. So if you have any family or friends out there, make sure that they know about that for sure. That's a look here at your top stories across uh, gray television uh, here as we continue to move forward throughout the day. Of course, we'll continue to update you here on those stories. But for now, I'm going to send it back to Studio A with Victoria Shirley. Uh, again, a quick check at your local gray television stories. All right, thank you so much for that, Clay. I really appreciate it. I'll see him back here in Studio A in just a couple of minutes. But before we do that, I wanted to talk about the fact that today is World Lung Cancer Day. So let's talk a little bit about this for you now. All right, it is World Lung Cancer Day. Did you know about every two and a half minutes, someone in the U.S. is diagnosed with lung cancer? And every day, lung cancer takes hundreds of lives. Let me pull up this graphic for you so uh, you can follow along here with me. All right, let's go ahead and dig into this story a little bit more. So those are just some of the stats from the American Lung Association. They're not easy to hear, but awareness is crucial. Today is World Lung Cancer Day, a chance to learn more about what risks you might have. Lung cancer is the leading cancer killer in the country, and it doesn't discriminate. Anyone can get it. But there are some high-risk factors you should know about, including air pollution, smoking, exposure to secondhand smoke, and exposure to dangerous chemicals like radon gas. It's also important to know your family history and stay in touch with your doctor if you do have a higher risk because an early diagnosis often means a better outcome. All right, we are going to transition to something a little bit fun, and I'm going to bring on my colleague Clay Osterley here at the opposite end of this story so I can get his view on this story. So for this story, we're going to take you to New York City, and if you're a cat person, this is a story for you. Cat food brand Fancy Feast is expanding into feline-inspired human cuisine. It's opening at an Italian restaurant in New York City to celebrate the company's new line. Gatto Bianco, which means white cat, is described by Fancy Feast as an Italian-style trattoria 
The human-friendly dishes were inspired by Fancy Feast's new Medley's cat food line. The line features options like, like beef ragu recipe with tomatoes and pasta and a savory sauce for the cat with the discerning taste. The pop-up restaurant will be open for dinner reservations on August 11th and 12th only. Only a lucky few will have the chance to enjoy it. The experience is limited to, limited to a total of 16 guests, so that is highly exclusive. Each guest will enjoy a complimentary tasting menu for free. All right, let me bring on my colleague. What say you, Clay? So no for me, dog. <laughs> uh, dog. <laughs> I guess I should say you, cat. cat. Uh, yeah, I don't, you, the, the thing, I, I, I love the idea, I certainly love the idea because I've been to uh, dog parks that obviously you can go and you can eat off the full menu right. as a human and they get your dog some stuff as well. Right. Um, and so I, I get that's probably what they're trying to do here as well, but I feel like anytime I think about like fancy cat food, there's just a smell that comes along with that, Oof. that I'll just never be able to go into a restaurant and not think, hmm, this is great. Uh, but hey, you know, I, I'm also not a cat person. So, you know, if you're a cat person and you're really excited about it, go for it. Absolutely. Right. The thing that when I first saw this story, I thought it was bring your cat in and enjoy a meal and your cat can sh and enjoy a meal. But no, you're eating... Yeah, it's it's cat it's, food it's for humans. You're right. Yeah, that's that's where I get that's where I get lost because because I don't I, the places that I've been to dog related to that it's it's, it's not the same. The right, it's a whole separate menu uh, for the dogs and it's not inspired by dog food. It's just hey, here's a here's a burger and then hey, here's a dog friendly dish. So it's that's a, where it yeah. got me. It's an interesting, interesting concept. I can't say I would want to go experience yeah. that, but I think it's, I, you know, I like out-of-the-box things, and that's definitely fun to talk about. I, I, think, I think it'll be successful one way or another. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to show you one of my favorite videos that I get to show anytime I can, and that is this video where we get to explain what Local News Live is. We are part of Gray Television, which owns more than 100 stations across the United States. Each one of those dots on your screen is a TV station, and we take the most interesting stories those reporters are telling and share them with you. And of course, they're told by the people who know them the best, those reporters on the ground in those cities. You're watching Local News Live. <coughs> What's that?